I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We're here. Here we are. We are here. And, uh, and this brings us to a moment that we've been very excited to bring to you. Um, it's... it's uh, it's the first episode of our new format of the show, uh, Sick evolution. Boy 2.0, The Evolution. And, um, and man, I, like I got to say, you know, like for anybody who's been listening for a long time, uh, you, you have witnessed us very much grow over the years into what, what we've become today. Uh, it started, you know, if you go back to that very first episode, it's very funny. I listened to it not long ago and like, we had no clue what we were doing. It was, but, but it, but it was so much fun and we, and we kind of just fell into it naturally. And, and we, the whole thing was just such an organic process. Um, and then, you know, the show had a bit of a, a sort of it's, it's own evolution when COVID hit, it sort of forced us out of the space of, um, of, recording with people in studio. I mean, up to that point, like we, we, we would never record with someone unless they were in person because we thought that that was what equated to a good conversation, like the human element of being in that space with the person, which there's definitely something to be said for that. But COVID forced us to like start doing virtual recordings, which we found our way. And I feel like we do pretty well. I thank God for COVID. I know. <laughs> thank, thank God for COVID. Oh my God. And then, no, uh, not thank God for COVID, you guys. Thank God in this sense, I suppose. That's right. That's but right. No, thank you, God. Um, and uh, and and that was a cool, interesting, fun like transition because we went from you know at first it was like like if you listen to last last week's Feel Good Friday, which was our last Feel Good Friday, um, you will you will see that you know it, the first Feel Good Friday episode was just me, you, and Lauren. We were talking like the the world shut down that day, and we were like, well, let's. Like let's let's talk about talk it. about it, and uh, and and then from there we thought, okay, well, let's like this is fun. Let's cover weird, fucking wacky shit in the world of health and news, uh, uh, um, the world of of health uh, through the news, and and then we we're like, but let's also talk to like experts, and we mashed those two together, and we were releasing those once a week, but then like <laughs> you know we did an episode with like Nahid Dasani to talk about like you know his work on on going out into the streets and trying to help uh, people who are, who are experiencing homelessness and giving them palliative care and, and you know, his like this beautiful work that he's doing. And then we're like, all right, cool. Let's cut back to like the studio. And it's just us talking about like, like, you know, comforts, you know, like <laughs> cut back to the studio. We were, we were leading into that conversation with Nahid <laughs> yeah, with right. like a, how viscous oh, is Jeremy's come? Fuck sakes. Yeah. Literally, like that. That was. I Which think that was exactly an interesting an topic. It is, yeah. but but then but and then science we, rich. Yeah, and then we thought, well, 
you know, maybe, maybe these people that are esteemed, smart, you know, physicians, clinicians, researchers, maybe they don't, don't want to tie their, their life's work to, uh, a conversation about like coconut, coconut milk cum. And maybe they do, but (laughs) just to be safe. But even (laughs) if they do, yeah. So we, so we split them up and that's how routine checkup became a thing. So then we were, okay, three episodes a week. And uh, fuck, that was, I mean, it was a lot of work. I remember anytime we tell people we were doing three episodes a week, they would think, the, re- the reaction would always be, what the fuck? But it became such a well-oiled machine between the three of us that it didn't seem outside the norm. It didn't seem that crazy. I think we just genuine, genuinely love doing it. Yeah. So it's, it's easy doing something that you love yeah. that much. But we also- so much fun. It, yeah. it makes it hard- for like the casual listener to keep up yeah. with the amount of content yeah. that we're putting out. So first of all, to all you hardcore listeners, we, we love, love you. you. We fucking love you. And so I want to give you a little rundown on what this evolved version of the show is going to look like. Okay. So if you haven't picked up all, all already, we are going down to one episode a week. But those OG Monday recordings that started the whole thing off, those play a very vital role. We, gotta, we want to hear the stories of people who are experiencing illness. We want to try to find the levity that, it, that, that comes with the human experience of being sick or going through hardship. Um, but then those Wednesday episodes, like those are so important because not only do we, are, do we find it interesting and important to speak to the lived experience, but we also want to know like, what's going on behind the scenes from the clinical side. So the physicians and the researchers and the the, you know, the, the organizations that run, you know, health nonprofit charities, like we want to talk to them too, to get their side. Um, and then of course the Friday episodes is just us being able to dick around, which gives you guys an, you know, an opportunity to just hang out with us, uh, which, which we also love doing. So, and we were putting those episodes on YouTube. That's right. Which I mean, the world knows. (laughs) (laughs) They will. I mean, the success, <laughs> the success yeah. on you, like wildfire it caught. Um, so those three aspects of the show were all very important. And so we decided in this, in this shift to go down to one episode a week, we want to keep all of the three things that make those episodes important and unique. And we want to make sure that we bring those together uh, so that we have that in each of these episodes going forward. So, Every episode will start with a little preamble, a little banter between us, like you're seeing here. And then the heart of the episode, the, the majority of the conversation could look one of many different ways. One example is just our OG Monday recordings where we speak to someone who's living with illness or a caregiver or something, you know, of that side of things. Uh, another option would be like our routine checkup episodes. You might just get an episode where we speak to a clinician or a researcher or, you know, somebody in under the sphere, like an expert under the sphere of health. Sometimes we might do both of those things in one episode. That's right. There might be one where we have two conversations that are isolated and kind of put them together to sort of support one another. And that could look one of many different ways. But the, the, the other option, the fourth, is one that, I'm we, really, we might just bring them together. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. We're, we're kind of call, <laughs> calling it like the bridging the gap style episode where we take two, com- two people together and let them kind of drive the conversation. So the example I've been using is like, 
let's say we get a 25-year-old woman who just got diagnosed with breast cancer and she comes on the show. Well, we pair her up with another guest who is a 65-year-old woman who's a breast cancer survivor. And we let them have a conversation so that the young woman can ask this person who's been through the experience or the older woman can share the wisdom that she, you know, the, the things that she wished she knew um, and, and see how that conversation unfolds. And again, that's a format that could look so many different ways. And that's the thing that we're really excited about is that every one of these episodes is going to be different, but they're all going to kind of contain the things that make all of the episodes that we've been doing so important, just kind of packaging it all together. And here's the part that really kind of that I'm really excited about is that Feel Good Friday ain't going anywhere. The best part. The best part is every episode has its own Feel Good Friday tagged right at the end. Mm. And then there's this, there's a, there's a, it's, it's, it's a, it has a long time horizon and it'll, and it'll, it'll play out over probably the next <clears throat> year, year and a half or so. But there's a fifth thing that we're bringing into the fold. Yep. Which is where we send Brian out. Yep. Yeah, we're so excited about this. With a, like, in the field microphone. Yes. And kind of has, like, a Blair Witch kind of vibe yeah. to it. Yeah. You know, very the microphone like, is just a dildo. Like, like found footage, yeah. found audio footage. Yeah. And yes. Brian will go into a back cave. I thought. And he will become, and he will stay there until he gets bitten and contracts the next world pandemic. Yeah. Comes I thought back were, out into the human population, I, spreads it. In you, highly populated areas, right. you left the part of the, he's go, he's going to be fucking bats. So like he'll let them bite him, but it, it's I, about the it's about fucking. Whoa, the bats. whoa, whoa, whoa! I was I thought that I was exclusively allowed to use that for my OnlyFans. I'm pretty sure that's what it said in my contract. It's there is a stipulation there that we actually own the all rights to um, the footage. You, it's in your the body, your bodily yeah. fluids. I'll have to get Trevor to look it over. <laughs> Okay. My agent. So I just, I just realized, I forgot that this is... Um, you don't want somebody named Trevor. This is the preamble. Be, I forgot that this is the preamble for, <laughs> the, for the first that's episode. That's why he overlooked my fucking contract, <laughs> Trevor. So again, uh, this, is, this is the new format. We're really excited. And to kick this whole thing off, we are bringing to you a conversation that we've been working really hard on over the last few weeks. Um, we've put more episode, more work into this episode than maybe any other episode we've ever done in the past. And that's because it has all this amazing shit to it. But here's the thing. The body of this episode is going to contain a conversation that we had with a very, very special guest named Ellie. And this isn't just a normal conversation with someone who's experiencing illness. This is literally an attempt to save someone's life. So this conversation that you are about to hear is um, is with our friend Ellie, who is a nurse, who is a beautiful human, who is also desperately in need of a new kidney. And you listening to this right now, you could potentially be the person that saves Ellie's life. We're going to talk to Ellie about her story, about how she ended up where she is today. And then we will transition into a conversation with somebody from the University Health Network, who specializes in kidney special uh, uh, kidney donation, and we're going to give you all the info that you need in order to, in the very least, understand how you could make a difference. And this episode is a giant call to action. It's like a sweepstakes. It's the telethon where, like, yeah. you may be selected. That's right. To save a life. Save a life. The the greatest gift of all. And so uh, so. 
Check out the show notes for all the relevant links. If you want to watch the episode, the whole episode is on YouTube. And going forward, there's going to be a lot more YouTube content coming your way. So that's exciting. And, uh, and yeah, without further ado, uh, let's get into the very first Sick Boy Evolved episode where we have an amazing conversation with an amazing human. So I hope you enjoy Uh, all right. Well, uh, this is going to be this is going to be a real treat because not only are we diving into uh, a topic that hasn't gotten a lot of airtime on the show over the last nine years, but we also have the pleasure of doing it with our very close and dear friend that we love very much, Ellie. Uh, Ellie is a a nurse. Uh, Ellie is the best friend of my partner Kira, former roommate. Uh, and your Ellie, f- former roommate, or not, Ellie's no, not, former d- roommate? Just curious, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, and a dog mom, and uh, a, an overall just wonderful, beautiful human, and a lawn bowling champion. Oh fuck yeah! yeah. Oh <laughs> right, I should say <laughs> Ellie was the dark horse on the sick boy uh, lawn summer nights team, who, who championship team joined our championship team. We won that year, and and all really, you know, I think all due to some clutch. Maneuvers. I think so. That came in from, yeah. Major ringer. It was actually. Major (laughs) ringer. Yeah. Um, But Ellie, we're here to talk about uh, kidney disease, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that you've been struggling with for quite a while. And and I'll say this right up front. Not only is this an episode for us to get to know a little bit about kidney disease and your experience with it, but this is like a major call to action. This is the Ellie O'Brien... Telethon. This is it. Yeah, find, me, is, a, find me a kidney episode. This, this is the find Ellie a kidney episode, and I don't say that uh, lightly. I I truly actually mean it. I I want I want us to find you a kidney by putting this episode out to the world, and uh, there's there is a way in which we can increase the odds of that happening, which we will get into when we we talk about the kidney paired donation program. Um, but before we get into that, Ellie. Hello, thank you for joining us. Can you please give our listeners uh, a nice little introduction into who you are? So I'm Ellie. I'm 31. When I was 16, I was diagnosed with end-stage renal failure. On dialysis that night, it was a total shock. Um, Spent almost a year and a half on dialysis. Then I got my first kidney transplant in 2009. And then I became a nurse went to St. Avex, became a nurse, and then I spent f- about five years working in the dialysis unit that I Whoa. was treated in as a patient. Whoa. I don't work there now, but I did spend uh, quite a few years. Now, let there. me ask, at, at 16, so you would have been in grade uh, 10? I was just finishing oh, grade 10, Okay. Yeah. Uh, when you were in grade 10, prior to, so let's say when you were in, you know, just starting grade 10, did you... At that point in your life, were you beyond the beyond the point that everybody else um, that that everybody else had been in at one point, which was thinking that they were going to be a marine biologist? Were you out of that phase right. and into the yeah. phase of uh, you know of of you know tapping into uh, reality and realizing that that's actually not what you want to do and and had a sense of what it was you wanted to do for the rest of your life when you were that age? Yeah. So I grew up thinking that I wanted to be a teacher because both of my parents are teachers. 
So up until diagnosis and all that stuff, I still, I didn't like think too much about it, but it was the teacher route for me at that point. Nursing was not a thought. And did the thought literally occur after your experience yeah. with renal failure? Yeah, yeah, 100%. You went to the hospital no and you were way. like, I love this place. Well, listen, <laughs> I remember sitting in the dialysis chair being like, these nurses look so badass and I want to huh. do this. That is so, fucking sick. That's cool. That is crazy. I love that's that. cool. Because I feel like the more likely scenario is, is to be like, well, maybe likely, but I, not uncommon, to be in the hospital and just be like, fuck this. Yeah. yeah. I fuck never want to come back yeah. here. Fuck everybody here. Yeah, yeah. I hate it. That, I mean, that's how I, like, that's how I, I, I never, th- I never had the thought of being a healthcare worker in any capacity whatsoever. But if someone had said when I was 16, hey, do you have it? Like, would you have any interest in like getting into medicine? I'd be like, fuck, dude, fuck that. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely not. I've spent enough time in those places that I know I don't want to go anywhere near it. Yeah. Well, my, uh, shall I say, like acute illness, whereas where I was on dialysis was relatively short-lived. Like I was there for 14 months and then I was transplanted. So once I was transplanted, that was kind of the time where I needed to start taking sciences and doing all that. So like I was well enough that I was kind of over the hump of illness. I wasn't in the hospital all the time. So I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to help That's people so and cool. be the nurse that I needed when I was a patient. Fuck yeah, you know? dude. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. What was the, uh, what was like the lead up to diagnosis? I'm assuming it wasn't yeah. like everything's fine. And then you go to the hospital and they're like, surprise. I, I didn't even realize you had a kidney transplant. I wish I before. had that piss blood, uh, Nick Cage, uh, soundbite queued up right yeah. now. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. What did that look like leading up? So I was in grade 10. I don't really remember being sick ever in my life. And then probably around Christmas is when I started kind of feeling like basically just like nauseous. I was super cold all the time because I was like anemic Mm. and tired, but really just like the nausea and stuff. And then just living, living, living. And then we were renovating my mom's house. So we were staying with my aunt at the time and my mom and I were sleeping in the same bed and I had a night of like, just vomiting and I was really short of breath and my mom was like this is not normal and I was like no no like yeah it's been kind of been going on for a while and she's like no no no, we're going to the hospital right now so we went to emerge we went to the IWK emerge because I was 16 they immediately said you're too old to be here we're going to ship you over to the QE2 what at 16 at 16 mm-hmm. yeah isn't it 18 what the well hell? I think if you're diagnosed before the age of 16, they'll keep you till you're 18. Oh, okay. But yeah, they were like, you don't have any history here. So we're going to ship you over to the HI. They did some blood work. I imagine as soon as they took my blood, they were like, this girl's in kidney failure. Like, so I was on dialysis that night. Wow. Yeah. So it was a huge shock. I've heard dialysis. Like every time I've heard about dialysis, I feel like it's always comes with like, that's the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't really know I don't, I don't know much about dialysis, and I don't know what makes it so horrible. So. Well, uh, luckily for us, we have, someone. we have someone who's been doing it for a minute. Uh, what is, I guess, firstly, like, what is dialysis? What does that even mean for someone who has no fucking clue? Like Taylor. And then, and then what, you know, for you, what was your experience with dialysis over the years? So there's two types of dialysis. There's peritoneal dialysis and there's hemodialysis. So hemo just means blood. Um, and so that's the one that I'm most familiar with. That's the one I did when I was 16. That's the unit that I worked in. So basically you have 
a vascular access, so like a, sh- a catheter in your chest mm-hmm. or a fistula in your arm. Is it specifically <clears throat> a por- like a port, uh, like a catheter port, or it would more be like the most Hickman? similar to like a Hickman? Okay. Um. So it's outside of your body. Okay, it has it. two lumens, one to draw the blood out and one to return the clean blood. Okay. So. That one, you take blood out of your body, you sit it through a huge machine. Um, there's a, what we call a dialyzer, which is basically the kidney. It's a filter. It filters your dirty blood, um, your blood that's full of toxins. And it also removes excess fluid because your kidneys make urine. So if your kidneys don't work, you don't really make urine. Um, so that's one kind. And then the other kind is peritoneal. That one, I think that one was invented before hemo. And basically you have a catheter in your abdomen. You instill this fluid that is high in sugar. So it's like maybe one to two liters. You instill it in your abdomen. It sits there. It's called the dwell time. And basically your peritoneal cavity, the lining is semi-permeable. So that acts as your filter. And then the sugar in the fluid that's sitting in your cavity draws all the toxins out of your blood and it draws the excess fluid in your body and it all draws into the peritoneal cavity Jesus. and then you drain it out. And so then it's you sort do of that like it, it does something to basically make another part of your body act like a kidney. Right. That's okay. crazy because yeah. it, wow. like you said, um, it sounds like it was invented before the hemo type. I think which, that was the first type that was invented, yeah. Which like it sounds crazy mm-hmm. to discover the fact that like, oh, like we could just use this part of your body and like, and like along with Jerry rig it to, to like be like a kidney. Like that's insane. Right? I know. Like who figured that out? <laughs> right? wild. Yeah. I, 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 I could be wrong here, but I have a, I have a vague recollection of, uh, either it was through our recording with Chris Hadfield or it was through my work in following him for a, a documentary project that I did with the national film board. Um, where I heard that dialysis um, was maybe maybe not maybe not like di- you know dialysis was a a direct byproduct, but like where dialysis is today is directly tied to work that was done on the International Space Station. So like dialysis technology, um, was a Invented byproduct by floating of, astronauts in space. Yeah, basically, yeah. Like there was they they were doing whatever work they do up there and. <laughs> the reason why dialysis is the way that it is today is, is has a direct tie to, uh, to NASA, CSA, JAXA. Now that you mentioned it, I actually, I remember the story because he was saying that um, it was two astronauts who were floating in space Mm -hmm. and one's shirt floated up slightly. And the other one was like staring at them and they saw their abdomen and they thought, huh, that is, yep. That could probably be used to process and filter the blood. Yeah. And that is the origin story of dialysis. <laughs> and then you he heard tickled it here first. <laughs> and then he got a tickled belly. You, you would yeah. never have heard it anywhere And it was else. so, and what I loved about how you recalled that, Brian, was how de- how detailed it was. Um, yeah, it was specific. So what is it about dialysis that is shit? Like, what's, what's the shitty thing about right. dialysis? Mm. Why are people like, this <clears throat> sucks hard? So when we first found out that my kidneys had failed, it was my dad and I in Emerge. And at that time, I was like, I don't even know what a kidney is. Is it like your appendix? Like, you don't really need them? I don't know. And yeah. dad just broke down and he's like, you're going to be attached to a machine for the rest of your life. Oh, oh God. And I was like, wow. So it's very time consuming. <laughs> Regular um, 
dialysis, like hemo, is usually four-hour sessions, three days a week. PD is, it's actually kind of like a 24-hour dialysis. You're, you're every two to three hours, you're doing exchanges, or you'll do it for like 10 to 12 hours overnight. On-site? At ho- you can do PD at home. Okay. Um, hemo, most people go in-center, but you can also do it at home with extensive training. Okay. Yeah. So it's extremely time-consuming. Probably like 12 to 15 hours of your week is spent on the machine, plus travel, waiting to get on, getting home. A lot of the time people get something called the dialysis hangover, which is essentially a result of your body's blood composition being changed so quickly and all the fluid coming off in like a four-hour span because it's doing what a kidney should do. 24 7 in like a four hour period. Mm, mm. So you just feel terrible, Is tired, like a dehydration run down. Hydration effect? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask, mm-hmm. I wanted to come back to the, the emergency room and getting, like, first finding out that, that you're, you were in renal failure. Um, I imagine that that's a, quite a traumatic event, especially going in, you know, not really knowing what's wrong. And then all of a sudden, you end up finding out that that you know your kidney's failing you and that you're you're going to have to do dialysis. Like what was that experience like? That was probably the most traumatic moment of my life, obviously. It truly kind of is like a movie where everything is like closing in on you. You kind of have an out of body experience realizing that your life is forever changed and it's not like this is fixable. Like this is now the rest of your life and everything you know and everything you thought your life was going to be has completely changed. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a lot of like trauma to work through there for sure. Um, But yeah, it's, it's surreal, honestly. Mm -hmm. And it still feels like that to me today. This might feel like, like in a, in a, in a kind of shitty way, I, I, I feel like I can relate to that experience. And when, when my parents told me they were getting divorced, it's like this thing that you know to be true about your life is like, my parents are together and like, this is my family. And then, you know, in an instant, when somebody tells you this thing is happening, it's like, oh, forever forward, life is different now because of this. And yeah, I, like, I, I don't know. It's, I, I can relate to it in a sense, but also... You know, like when it's your body and it's something that is like happening to you, I imagine that that mm-hmm. brings this like other level of complexity and and things to it that makes it even more difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, that whole day was so intense because like not not only did I never know one thing about healthcare or like your body, then they're telling you, oh, we need to put this extremely invasive line catheter in your chest, in your main vein. Then we're going to attach you to a machine that's going to take all the blood out of your body and clean it. And there's like people around you. It's just so like invasive. Mm. And you're already trying to grapple with all this information that they're telling you. And you get inundated with information that day. And you're only taking in like maybe 10%, if mm. that, like, cause you're in complete shock. And they give you a pamphlet about accepting kidney disease. And they basically describe the, I think it's five stages of grief or something. Right. And one of them's bartering. And like, I'm not a religious person. I've never gone to church. And I found myself 
praying to God, being like, I will do anything. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do this if I just get my kidneys back. Mm-hmm. So that was wild to read because I'm reading that after I've gone through these stages. Oh, and it's just absolutely wild. So oh, you, so you, you find out that you're in renal failure. Um, what, so I guess just to, just like to, for kind of an overview, like what, what happens when you go into renal, renal failure? What is the, what is like, what's the biologically, what's, what's going on that, that makes that a bad thing? You know, like why do you need your, your kidneys to work? So the kidneys actually do a lot of different things in the body. They filter your blood, like filter out all your toxins, take out excess fluid. They manage your blood pressure. They manage your electrolyte balance, your pH balance of your blood. Um, they help with bone mass and like protecting your bones with vitamin D and stuff. And they also help regulate your red blood cells. Okay. So that's why you become, normally, you become extremely anemic. Right. Because you don't have that ability to create red blood cells. What's anemic? I forget. Oh, I yeah, it's like a low hemoglobin, so it's low red blood cells, low oxygen, kind of floating around your body into your tissues and stuff. And and like, what effect does if you're anemic? What effect does that have on you? Well, you're freezing all the time. You have bad circulation. It's really hard on your heart because your heart's beating faster, harder to circulate that blood and that oxygen. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Okay, so you find out, all right, you're in renal failure. Get this fucking girl in for dialysis ASAP. Uh, and you're 16. You eventually get a kidney di- a kidney transplant. Um, the is the dial. I mean, the dialysis obviously is there to uh, to give you some sort of like you know external kidney function since your kidneys aren't going to do the work for you. Um, how much of a role does dialysis play in like? I guess, like prepping you for transplant or, you know, I I guess to phrase this differently, when you got on dialysis, were they like, what did they communicate to you? Were they, you know, did they tell you, all right, you're going to be on dialysis until we get you a a new kidney. And, you know, this is how long this could take or, or was transplant more of like a, this is a further down the road thing when things get more serious. Um, like when did transplant become like when when was that put on the table mm-hmm. for you? Right away. Immediately. Like, it's like immediately. this just has to happen. Yeah. I mean, I spent a week in hospital. They were trying like they did biopsies and stuff. Okay, so they never figured out why my kidneys failed, right? Idiopathic, just like they don't have any idea. They did biopsies, tests, whatever. Still to this day? Still to this day. It's just a fancy word. It's a di- yeah, know. it's technically like it's a diagnosis, but it just means we don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Anytime someone asks me something I don't know, I'm going to be like, yes, uh, idiopathic. Yeah. I think it's uh, idiopathy. It's idiopathy. <laughs> <laughs> so I spend a week trying to figure out if this is acute. So if it's a short-term thing and we can reverse the damage, oh, okay. or is this a chronic long-term 
irreversible thing. Mm. So as soon as I had the biopsy, my kidneys were like completely scarred. There was absolutely, I was zero function at oh, that wow. point. Wow. So um, they were like, yep, yeah, this is chronic. We're, you're 16 years old. We want to get you a kidney transplant ASAP. Dialysis is sustainable. I mean, you can live 10, 20 years if you take care of yourself, but it's, you know, it drastically shortens your life. It keeps you alive, but it shortens your life. It's, it's so bad for your heart. Bridge you know, it's a bridge. A yeah. Hopefully. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, right away transplant. I got a binder on what a transplant is. Um, pretty much like, yeah, the first week. And so how soon did transplant occur? 14 months after diagnosis. Do you remember getting the call? Mm, Yeah. So we did a live transplant, which is the ideal transplant for longevity of the kidney. I think cadavers, I want to say, are average of 10 years. And then a live donor, I think they say about 15 to 20. And when you say live, obviously Mm. you mean alive versus dead. But does it also mean like, they're taking it out of the person and going right into right you. away. Like, are you right yep. there? Are they, they're, they're not like, in the same OR, but you okay. like, she went into surgery maybe an hour before I did. Wow. Yeah. Did you Crazy. know the person? Wow. Yeah. So, um, she was my mom is my mom's very, very, very close friend. Um, normally you'd like a family member to donate just because your genes would be closer. But I unfortunately don't have the same blood type as, hmm anyone in my immediate family and I had like one cousin or something, but he was, he's much younger than me. So he was a kid at the time. Would that make rejection? If it's a family member with that, does that ease the rejection issues? Yeah. hundred percent. So right. Okay. So rejection, but it doesn't like, so your point about like cadaver, a cadaver kidney lasting, uh, whatever, 10 years, a live kidney lasting 15 to 20 is, is a live kidney that isn't, a genetic match to you uh sort of does that does that play a role in the live kidney like span of time or it's more just straight rejection possibilities i mean there are so many possibilities for graft failure so transplant failure down the line right but simply put a cadaver kidney um is in a comes from a dead person so there's more time maybe without circulation if it was like brain death, it would be better. But if it's cardiac death, you know, that kidney's not getting blood flow for however long. Mm. It might come from far away. So you have time on ice or whatever. So it just in general is, a, it's a great option, but it's not the best option. Live donation where you're going, you have the surgery in the same place, you're in ORs next to each other. It literally comes out and five minutes later, it's in your OR and it's yeah, about to go yeah. in you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just the expectations are just way better. Totally. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you go in for this transplant and, uh, I mean, first of all, can we just take a second to like appreciate the courage that it takes for a human to recognize and witness somebody that they know and or don't know needs a kidney and, and says, okay, well I've got two. Uh, so you can have one like it, that is such a, that's such a mind blowing thing to me. Um, I I guess before we get into how it went for you, how was the, how did it, how did it pan out for your mom's friend? Mm -hmm. Margaret Cody, shout out, love her. She is 
this amazing woman from Cape Breton. And from what now I was a minor at the time. So I was not involved in like conversations on finding a donor that were, that was my parents. Um, but from what I understand, Margaret said to my mom, what can I do? And my mom said, you can get tested. And she was like, okay. And then we don't hear. So like if people are getting tested for me, I don't know just like ethically, if whatever. So we had no idea. We knew she was getting tested, but we had no idea where it was. And then I think like six months later, Margaret called my mom. And to answer your question, Brian, we were in the, I was like in the dentist waiting room. And my mom got a phone call from Margaret saying, I'm a match. And like, I'll forever remember that moment too. Um, And I think the surgery happened maybe two or three months later, July wow, 21st. Yeah. Uh, let's get this out of the way early. What's your blood type? B. Okay. B positive, but for or- solid organs, the negative positive doesn't matter. Okay. What, do, what, yeah. what do you need? You need B? So B or O because O is the universal donor. Right. Yeah. But and it's a little more complicated. We'll get to that. Can, can I just yeah. can I just ask something about blood? I don't I don't know if if you know the answer to this, Ellie, but I'm so curious of how our blood types end up being our blood types. Like I just assumed that there was some sort of like hereditary implications yeah. of that because but you mentioned that mm-hmm. none of your family members have Good question. that. So <laughs> my mother is A and my father is A B and my brother is AB. So I received the B portion of his AB and that's uh, how I became B, unfortunately. Right, right. <laughs> right totally. So, okay, so everybody you, you, on my mom's side is A, basically. Right, and yeah. so you can't take AB, you no. need B. Mm-hmm. It's so Crazy. specific. Yeah. How wild we have all this information on a previous episode with uh, yes. a man from the IWK who he talked to about the, the children's program where he goes in and does... Uh, yeah, I'm, Selfie. Yeah, uh, selfie the Selfie right. program. Yeah, I know, but I can't, I can't remember how I got my blood type even though I asked somebody that. You know, you know, you know when you ask somebody you a question... you got your then, blood type? Oh, yeah, right. Your like, specific blood type. Well, yeah. I just, I just don't like... Oh, and I also the don't, story of your blood type? Totally, yeah. The story <laughs> of my blood. But uh, I don't know people, I don't know like what my parents' blood type is, but I... I think I'm a positive. Yeah. Well, Brian, here's your homework. And for anybody else who's interested, Blood Buddy, uh, uh, Hematopathology, and the Selfie Project is the name of that episode. It came out December 6th of 2023. And uh, we did do quite a bit of a deep dive into blood types and stuff like that. He ran us through all the blood types and what they mean and positive and negative and all the stuff. Um, so, So you're, okay, so you're B positive. You need to remain being positive as we move through this uh, <laughs> wow. kind of things. Um, and, and don't be negative, but, but we will accept be negative uh, from what I'm gathering. Um, so, uh, so you go through this process. What was the, what was the transplant experience like for you? And, and um, let me just ask this first. This, was the, this is currently the only time you've ever had a kidney transplant. Yes, okay. that was my one and only. So that one time, so what was that experience like? Honestly, I, it was not bad at all for me. Like I, I think I was just feeling so terrible that as soon as that kidney went in, like, even though I was recovering from a major surgery, you just feel like a new person. So for me, I was also 16. So, you know, your recovery is not too bad. Um, but everything was seamless. I had no complications Margaret did amazing. I think she was in for two days. Um, and now she 
lives overseas teaching and vacationing okay. and whatever. Um, so yeah, for me, I think I was in hospital for maybe eight days. They pump you full of fluid and prednisone. So that makes you a little bit crazy. Um, but yeah, I think adjusting to the drugs, the anti-rejection meds is probably the worst part of it. Okay. That's very intense. And uh, how so? Well, you're on immunosuppressants. There's three main, I think each immunosuppressant drug kind of works with different parts of the immune system. So prednisone, which is a steroid, is a huge one. And that's like an anti-inflammatory. And then there's two other ones, Celsept and Tacro, which are very popular. So they all come with side effects and things that you need to get used to. And obviously your levels kind of at the start are higher and then they kind of taper you down like during the first year mostly. Um, so for prednisone, it's, they mess with your moods basically. Oh, yeah. They yeah. make, well, yeah, if anyone's yeah, ever a, been yeah. on. I actually, <laughs> I actually love prednisone, oh. but I've only been, I've only done prednisone for Four like, stints. yeah, like yeah. short stints, big blast, yeah. seven days. And I'm like, and it, I'm like this, give me more of this motherfucker. Wait, like, wait it's, why? It, what does it do for you? Oh man. I mean, well, I mean, speaking of mood, like <clears> I, I, it, blasts my mood up to this like stratosphere. I'm so happy. It makes you be positive. Yeah, yeah, totally. 100%. And I think it gives you energy. It gives you energy. Yeah. You're fucking like you you are you are dialed in. You want to like get shit done. It turns all your bad feelings into, into good feelings. That's right. Yeah. And uh and and non-habit forming. Um <laughs> That's good. Uh you it also the other part with that I loved about it when I was younger was that it would I would gain a bunch of weight, which was really yeah, hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um but uh that I know that that's not something that most people enjoy. Um, okay. So, so, so one other thing that I just want to like really make clear here that you said and make sure that we put this out there because again, we're trying to, so, so the, the line is open, uh, 1-800, uh, give us your fucking kidney. You can call the telethon is happening. If you want to give your kidney, call that number. And by call that number, I mean, actually just email us info at sickboypodcast.com because that number doesn't exist. But the thing that I want to make clear here is that you said that, um, was it Mary? It, um, your Margaret. Margaret. Margaret, sorry. Margaret. Mary was, Margaret. Mary Margaret. Same, yeah, yeah. Same People are named that. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cape Breton. Um, Margaret was in hospital for two days. Two or three. Two or three days. Sure. Way shorter than me. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. yeah. It's laparoscopic. Simple. Like I know in the past, um, there's been a lot, it was harder for the, for the donor than it was the recipient back in the day because they, before laparoscopic surgery was invented, I think they had to take out a couple of ribs totally. to yeah. get the kidney. That's long since been over. Oh. So for her, it's laparoscopic. There's like three little dee, 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 right. um, incisions. Well, in. it's kind of a shame. I guess like one of the upsides is like you could suck your own dick if you're... <laughs> they put them back. Yeah. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah, Never mind. I think. Just, All right, well yeah. then, I, I mean, that's just, that's just, that's just <laughs> yeah. a pain in the ass. It, it turns out that that whole story about Marilyn Manson <laughs> just, having just, his <laughs> ribs removed, he just was just donating his kidneys. He's actually doing a very good deed. That's So laparoscopic, that's that's very fascinating. Is it like, is the kid Kidney like a rat? Like it can just like like it doesn't need much space to slip out of there. That's what I sure. think of when I think Honestly, of laparoscopic. I don't surgery. know. I think the incision where the kidney actually comes out is might be a little bit longer. I think it's to, a little bit right, longer, sure, 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 maybe sure. like right above your belly button. Right. Maybe like. And the upside to that is you have a cool a cool scar on yeah. your belly that you can get a tattoo around and make a smiley face or something like that. So that's cool. Um, cool. Just want to make sure people are like realize that uh, giving so a kidney pros. is actually super cool. Yeah, and fun. Um, Okay, so but 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 like 
like in all seriousness it is fucking cool like to it be able to cool i yeah. i imagine that like if you donated your kidney and you knew that you you helped someone stay alive yeah like that must be a good feeling totally. like that must be something that you carry with you for the rest of your life and can be proud of yeah oh i have a question when they take when they when you get a new kidney i'm assuming your your two kid your two kidneys are fucked so like it's like they're both they both need to be thrown away but you're just getting one right yeah, well, they actually keep them in unless they're causing problems. So oh. when you get a kidney transplant, you end up having three kidneys. Whoa, no. they keep oh. all two. Oh. Yeah, unless Whoa. you have like What's polycystic kidneys. Like? Yeah. And then if they're like getting infected or causing pain or whatever, they'll take wow. them out. But for me, they were like shriveled. They're non-existent. Oh, okay. So wow. they just like they just put the new one in and like connect the piping. and Yeah. Cool. That's exactly That's right. very cool. Yeah. Okay. I want to I want to dive into um so let's do a little bit of like a fast forward. Mm-hmm. Um you had this kidney. Uh things seemed to be going good. Uh for how long? Things went really well all through school, so when I started nursing and everything. Probably up until 2017, I ended up with this virus called CMV that actually lies dormant in most people's bodies. And my donor was actually CMV positive. It's super common in that generation, like the boomers. Most of them have it. So I was CMV negative when I was transplanted, but but then she transplanted me her kidney, which came along with the CMV. So that's something that they monitor really closely and actually medicate you for early on after transplant, like probably a year. And so I never had any problems with this until about eight years post-transplant. And it's kind of like, it just made me feel generally unwell, fever. I had a lot of like stomach problems and stuff. And I had a really hard time clearing that virus. Probably a year I was on antivirals. And they were like, it's so uncommon to see somebody eight years post have this come up. Right. Um, But that's me. I'm uncommon. I'm rare, whatever. (laughs) So that's kind of when things started not going downhill, but it wasn't all perfect. Red flags. So my white blood cells went super low with that virus. And so they actually took me off one of my immunosuppressants, Celsept, that I think affects like your white blood cells and stuff. So they took me off that for quite a while so that I could clear the virus. And then I had had this kind of underlying cervical dysplasia that I had been diagnosed with a year after my transplant. So that's basically you have these precancerous cells on your cervix and it's extremely common. Um, But if you have a working immune system, it usually clears itself. But because I did not, it stayed, it got worse, it got better. It got worse, it got better. It was just kind of lingering around. And then I like around maybe 2017, 2018, it started, it was high grade. So it went from low grade, medium grade to high grade. And so that basically was the level before it became cancerous. So at that point, they kind of came back again on my immunosuppression. They took me off this drug and I never went back on it, the Celsept. So ultimately, they're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. They don't want to over immunosuppress me and allow the cancer to flourish, but they don't want to under immunosuppress me and cause me to go into rejection. So I walked that line for a lot of years. And in 2021, I think we realized in the blood work that my kidney was starting, the function was starting to to decline. 
Um, and then we did a biopsy in early 2022 and they basically said, your kidney is too far gone. There's too much scarring. We think it's chronic rejection from being under immunosuppressed from the cervical dysplasia situation. Right. So did we you know? Did you know at that point, like, did you feel that going mm -hmm. into that? Or, or was that like out of left field? So you can lose 50% kidney function and have no symptoms. Wow. Even more so, I would say. Wow depending on like your, your health otherwise. Um, so I had no idea and I'm obviously getting routine blood work like every three months at that point. So we, they kind of were like, ah, oh, yeah, like it's creeping up, creeping up your creatinine's creeping up. We're going to do a biopsy. We're going to see what it says and then we'll go from there. And then I did the biopsy in like, I think March, 2022. And they said, it's too far gone. There's nothing we can do. So we're going to ride this kidney out until it fails. And then we will relist you for another transplant. On the cervical, um, dis cervical dysplasia, that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, <clears throat> they can't go in and like scrape those away. I had probably, I want to say five, sur five laser surgeries, oh, laser okay. procedures, and it would be leap, gone yeah. and then it, it would come back. It's actually a little bit more intense than a oh, okay. leap. So oh. I actually had to go to OR and be oh, wow. sedated or um, go under anesthesia and stuff. So like after a year of being immunocompromised, it popped up and they were like, oh yeah, like we'll just watch it. But usually it goes away, like not to worry. Okay. And then, so I was seeing him like every six months and it just like wasn't going away, wasn't going away. So I've been living with it, but like it doesn't affect you in any way. It's Ooh, just kind yeah. of there. And then until it gets all like, almost cancerous and then they're like all right we really need to like do something right. about this so in 2002 in about october my kidneys were at maybe like nine seven percent so i started dialysis i started pd um and in december they took out my transplanted kidney so they could take me off all the immunosuppression so i could my immune system could come back and get rid of the dysplasia mm -hmm. so that happened really quickly like within a few months everything was fine um, and that's kind of where we're at now where, where the dysplasia is gone, everything's good in that department. So now we're looking at transplant again. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's the current situation, mm -hmm. but correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, being the fact that you are best friends with, with Kira and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm close to this hearing, mm -hmm. talking to her. Um, there's been like some more developments specifically around, the the transplant the, the 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 requirements for your transplant correct it's not just as simple as like oh you're b positive then let's be positive together and do this surgery it's a little bit more uh there's a little bit more behind it is that is that correct that's correct okay so unfortunately when you come off your immunosuppression and you've had a transplant even though they took out the transplanted organ, there was always a risk of microscopic tissue being left behind and coming off the immunosuppression, my immune system then saying, this is foreign tissue, I'm gonna attack it and I'm gonna start creating, creating antibodies right. to this donor tissue. So it's called donor specific antibodies, DSA. So they were, so the whole point of taking the kidney out was to avoid this, but there was always the chance that this would happen. 
So I am now at 99.6% sensitized, which is very unfortunate. It makes it very, very, very hard to find a match. Um, and for almost a year, I was reading 0% antibodies. And then all of a sudden, like this past November, I spiked up to 80% and then 99. Um, Which so just means we don't know you're why. Like, yeah. You're like at a really high risk of, of, Rejection. of not accepting the, a new. Yeah. Like they would never you can do preliminary blood work and that's part of the matching process um, to see if you would reject a specific donor. So like they would just never do right. the transplant if you're at risk of reject of your, of rejecting right, that kidney. Right. So it just makes it extremely hard to find a match. Mm. In what way though? Like what do you need beyond the blood type matching? Then? So the other part of it is HLA antibody testing. So some people have, antibodies to random things in their blood like when you get a vaccine you create antibodies to that illness that you're getting vaccine vaccinated against so people have antibodies now i'm not an expert but this is my understanding they have antibodies in their blood your own research and my and my antibodies might not match with your antibodies and they would they would fight each other so if you donated your kidney to me and our antibodies don't go together then that's going to reject so there's also that when you're talking about matching for, for a kidney transplant. Mm. And so I just have so many that okay. it's just very rare that I would find a, a compatible so, donor. So like how, I mean, do you, do you have any sense of like how rare that person would be? Like how many antibodies are there? I don't know the answer to that question. Do they but, talk to you about it at all? Do they have well, different names? Um, probably. I don't Name know. them all right now. You have to ask the HLA expert. <laughs> so from what I understand, so I got a phone call from my nephrologist, my kidney doctor in December, and she said, you are at 99.6% antibodies. So I want to say that that means that I won't, in very simple terms, I won't match with 99.6% of the population. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, but there's also like gen different genetic makeup. So I have very common genes for this part of Canada or this part of the world. So there's also that. So sure. it's not like so cut and dry. Yeah, I, we we are gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, get in touch with an expert to get a little bit more in depth on this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so so stand by for that. Um, but before we get down that road, um, there's two things that I want to cover here before we wrap with you. Um, one is I want to talk about the, the kidney paired exchange program, which is something that's new to me and blowing my mind right now. Very cool. Um, but even before that, I just want to talk about, you know, where you are at this point in your life, specifically like your age, which is like, you know, you're in your, you're in your thirties, you're, you're, you're a young 31 year old, um, but this is also like kind of a pivotal point in people's lives, uh, especially when it comes to making like really big decisions about the future of your life, uh, whether that pertains to kids or, you know, decisions with, you know, with your partner, or whatever that might be. So where are you at with that side of things? You know, like, like, um, how does this play? You know, are you interested in having children one day? If so, how does this play a role in that? Um, you know, like what are what are the things that are crossing your mind right now in this this crossroads of 
very, very desperately needing a kidney to survive, but also needing a kidney to be able to do the things that you want to do over the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. So I always told myself that I didn't want children because I found out about this when I was 16. And then I kind of just went through my 20s being like, yeah, I don't really need kids. And then something happens when you turn 30 or 30-ish and you're settled down and you have a partner that you love and people around you are starting to have kids and and you're like, oh, maybe that's what I want. Mm -hmm. So over the last couple of years, that's kind of been a big theme in my life is like, will I be able to have kids? And kidney transplant patients can have children they are automatically a high risk pregnancy and have to work closely with physicians and OBs and whatever, be monitored extremely closely. You get such good care when you're high risk. It's fucking. (laughs) Okay. Amazing. So that is, yeah, like I I'm here looking at my timeline. Okay. I'm going to be 32 in April. How long is it going to take me a kidney? They say it could be up to five to seven years. Okay. I'm going to be 37, 38. Like that Mm -hmm. is a huge Mm -hmm. thing for me right now. And I think I'm going to freeze my eggs because I definitely want to have the option. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm almost 40, I don't know. Like I, I definitely want children. So like, that's something that I'm thinking about. And it's so hard because I'm here fighting for my life mm-hmm. and everybody around me is like, should we have children? Like, and obviously that's not a light subject for everybody, but it's like, oh, I just wish, like, what would I be doing in my life right now if I didn't have mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. if I wasn't, you know, yeah, just and, trying and, to survive every day. Yeah. To the point of like the, you know, these types of decisions that are kind of a two-way conversation between you and, and also your partner, um, I, I, would, I would love to just hear like, you know, because I, I know that over the last, especially over the last like year, things have been like really tough. Um, you know, especially when it pertains to like going out and being social and, and like doing things for yourself. Um, uh, so I'd love to just hear like how, how Keegan, your partner, mm-hmm. awesome, amazing, uh, uh, human and, uh, fucking complete badass, uh, front lead singer of, <laughs> of the incredible hardcore band Botfly. Um, Fucking go see them if you're in, in your town, if you want to get a black eye and, and sweat your balls off. Um, how has Keegan, you know, how has this had an effect on Keegan? Um, how has this had an effect on your guys' relationship? Um, and, you know, how has Keegan been in terms of like a support system for you? Like how, like what kind of role has he played in, in holding your hand through all of this? Yeah, that's such a nice question that you asked. I, I appreciate that. Um, Keegan and I knew each other when we were 14 years old. And so he's always known this about me because when you're getting into a relationship, like, and you have a chronic illness, it's kind of tricky when you're going to tell them and what they're going to think and la di da da So he, we already knew each other and we kind of just like reconnected a little bit during COVID. So that was never a conversation that I had to have. He knew that already mm. about me. Um, so like tick right there, that was great. And he, you know, things really started going south, like maybe a year and a half into our relationship. So like it was still new. And I mean, he has been amazing the entire time, like more supportive, more understanding than I could ever expect anyone to ever be. Um, 
I know it's hard on him because he's like my rock, my support system. And, you know, sometimes I have to check in on him and be like, how are you handling this? Because like, mm. I've been dealing with this for over half my life, but like, how are you? So, I mean, we just communicate amazingly and he's never, ever, ever made me doubt anything about myself or about our relationship. And if anything, it just like makes us stronger. I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of spending a little bit of time with Keegan and, um, and it shows, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's a really, he's a really solid guy. And I'm so glad that you're not in this alone because I can imagine that that would be a hell of a lot harder. And so, uh, kudos to you, Keegan, if you're listening to this, because, um, a really, really amazing human stamp of approval. Um, <laughs> I'm also just a, fan, a fanboy of Botfly, so um, and that's, some, that's the only reason I'm saying it. Just to get some, just to get some fucking. Street if we can just uh, flood the comments with uh, "We love Keegan," yeah. that'd be really great. Um, okay, so let's let's really quickly just talk about the kidney paired exchange program. Okay, so um, I'll lay this out for for you guys. This is what I learned from it. Um, uh, so there is a program that exists called the Kidney Paired Ex- uh, Donation Program. Is that the program where you go and spend some time like overseas and uh, do some time, and then you get to come back with these great new fresh experiences? And Yeah, kind of like how they discovered dialysis on the... <laughs> yeah, actually, I looked that up. Totally false. Um, so, <laughs> and, and also, Brian, uh, totally false. Not that. Yeah. Okay. So the, the Kidney Paired Donation Program is... It, it's, it's a part of the process... It's a, it's a process that can help increase the chances of someone like Ellie receiving a kidney that is a match for her. So uh, typically, when someone is in need of a kidney, um, you would look at your like close sort of network, like the first time you got your kidney. So it's like, okay, you know, Ellie's mom has a friend. It's a match. Let's fucking go. It's like a multi-level marketing thing. Yeah, so that's, that's directed donation. That's a, yeah. You nailed it on that one. Now, if, real. If, if Ellie has people in her life that want to support her and, and, and are like saying, look, I, Jeremy, if I'm a match, I will give you a kidney, 100%. Um, and so we go and we, we do the test. And it turns out that we, as a, as a pair, are, are as direct, uh, directed donors... Um, are not compatible, then I can say, all right, well, fuck it. I will, I will also... Taylor and I are also a pair. Right, sure. So I will say, I will also add myself to, to the kidney pair donation program. Okay, so, so let's say you and I, Brian, are, are we, we we're test donors. and we're not, we don't, we're not a match. Well, um, you and I can go, all right, well, let, let's, let's add ourselves to this program. So as a pair you add yourselves to the kidney donation program and let's say we found um, like a chain of, uh, of like six other friends that were also willing to give their kidney and uh, one of those six were a match. Uh, sorry, sorry. So, 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 so you have six people, six pairs and, uh, and, and you bring those the, those pairs together. You find out that one of them is a match for one of the other pairs. What? What? Okay, for fuck's sakes! Let me just shut the fuck up and let me say this. So you've got Ellie needs a, a kidney, 
And I am going to go into this program with Ellie because she needs a kidney. Yep. And let's say Taylor needs a kidney. You will also yeah. pair up with Taylor because he so, needs a kidney. Yep. But you are not a match to Taylor. But Brian is a match to Ellie. Ellie. Then you would give Ellie your kidney. And let's say I was actually not a match for, for, for Ellie, but I am a match for Taylor. I could give Taylor my kidney. So you could do that with a group of like, you know, a chain of six or four, five, six pairs of people. But there's no sexual component to it whatsoever. You don't have to touch anyone. There's nothing involved like that. <laughs> right. And now, so like, so like if we did it as three pairs and like you and Ellie were a pair and Taylor and I were a pair yes. and then we had another pair, but like, I was a match with Ellie and you were a match for the other pair yeah. and the other person was a match for Taylor. Yes. Then like three way, three we people. all sort yes, of like exactly. Exactly. do it because like the odds of like yeah. a pair being a direct yeah, match with exactly. another pair is lower. Right. So mm -hmm. if you chain them together, it, yeah. it increases the odds. Now, Daisy chaining. Got it. Let's Daisy scale that. Pairs. Let's scale that out even further. So when you decide to do this program, you, you enter with, you know, whatever, whatever the chain is, but let's say no one's a pair at all. Well, you all get placed into the national kidney pair donation program. Pay it forward. And you pay it forward. And let's say that there are 500 pairs in that chain. Then it just increases the odds of the trickle-down effect of everybody finding a kidney. And so this is, what this, this is what spurred this conversation, this episode, was to try to get as many people as we can in Ellie's to, chain. To, yeah, to create the, the world's largest chain of <laughs> kidney donors. Well, so normally... Did I fuck that up? No, you were pretty good, but All I just right, want to add, normally, um, normally, it's just like me and you would go into the program as yeah. a pair. Yes. And then we would go into this nationwide database. Um, and then, like, it's just usually one person donating on my behalf. Um, but because I'm so highly sensitized and it's so unlikely that I will find a directed match. So they are going to be putting multiple people, multiple people in like, they'll be putting their blood work and their information into the database so that I have a larger chance of one of the people in my corner being a match with somebody else. Okay. You know what I mean? Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but normally it's just like, me a and pair. another person. A pair. Okay, yeah. got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so with that, knowing that that, that, that exchange program exists, um, what we want to do is put the information out there for anybody who is like, whether they know somebody who needs a kidney or they fucking don't. Because you can also enter this as someone who does not have a pair, a, a non-directed non anonymous donor, an NDAD. And if you are someone out there who's like, I would love to just put myself out there to donate a kidney, you can do that. And so the next portion of this conversation is going to be unpacking that to undo what I just did, Yeah, which, which did not help. It's going to be so much more clear. And re redo it so that we really have a grasp on what that program is, but also really like unpack all of the things that somebody who's interested in donating a kidney should think about. Um, because if you feel like you are someone that could do this, even if you're donating or pairing with somebody in Alberta and you don't know Ellie, your kidney could literally save Ellie's life. Ellie's more than just a person. Ellie's a symbol. Mm. Yeah. Like Batman. <laughs> totally. 
Let's put the fucking kid. Let's put that kidney symbol up in the air. Let's fucking blast that light out. Um, Ellie, what's the biggest thing that you would say your experience with kidney disease has taken away from you? Question. I would say generally it has taken away my ability to ever feel carefree or just carefree in general in any situation because I always, always am having a million things on my mind, whether I'm transplanted or not. There's always this, what, what if, can I do this? Can I do that in the back of my mind? What's safe for me to do? So I've never lived a carefree life since diagnosis. I've lived, you know, a great life during transplant time. I did a lot of things that got me through my twenties, nursing school, my career, but I've never kind of been able to let go fully. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, probably a lot of empathy for others. And it gave me my nursing career. You know, it mm -hmm. shaped who I am today and how I interact with the world. And I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah. We think you're an amazing person. And, uh, and you know, to, to even to, to know that this experience that you wouldn't wish upon anybody mm -hmm. uh, in the world was also the experience that led you to dedicating your life to being a nurse, which, you know, I think I can speak for all of us when we say that nurses are hands down, like the most important fucking part of the structure of the healthcare system. And if it wasn't for nurses, not a fucking single thing would get done. Uh, and they are highly under underappreciated and undervalued um but and to overpaid. know overpaid uh, 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 over yeah i was i mean i, I mean i you know i, I wasn't gonna say it you said it and uh, i'm not gonna say it because i don't want to get uh, my ass kicked when i go home because yeah. kira's here right now um <laughs> and and but, but for real like underpaid underappreciated yeah. undervalued and to know that this experience is something that drove you to do that work to be there for people who were in the same position that you were in when you were 16 um, is just one of the many things that make you such an incredible human. And this is precisely the reason why we wanted to do this episode right now is to ensure that we get to keep you for as long as we possibly can, because you're such a valued and, and appreciated and important human. So Thank you for, for taking time to come and sit down and hang out with us and share your story. Um, and, and thank you too for, for possibly, you know, playing a role in somebody out there finding a kidney, even through just like spreading the awareness that this program exists. Um, and yeah, I just, I, we really appreciate you doing this. So thank you. Thank you guys. You were so nice. That was uh, a lovely conversation with Ellie. I feel like I have her whole life story in my mind, but I'm still left with a number of questions. And so um, I am, I'm honored to be uh, sitting down with Candace today from the uh, University Health Network, um, who's going to, uh, I, I hope, give me a little bit of insight into some of the stuff that we were trying to cover with Ellie that's outside of her personal story. Um, and so Candace, first, first of all, thank you so much for taking your time today. 
uh, to sit down with me. And secondly, before we get into the questions, please just take a moment to introduce yourself uh, to all of our listeners. Sure. My name is Candice, like you said. I'm the Education and Outreach Coordinator at the Center for Living Organ Donation at University Health Network. And uh, I'm also a kidney transplant recipient myself, so have been through this journey and um, have lived with a chronic illness since I was uh, very young and um, did two types of dialysis. So I did both hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis. Um, yeah. And then uh, my mom stepped up and she was my living donor uh, September 2009. So have been living almost Whoa. 15 years now with this wonderful kidney. And it uh, also gave me the opportunity to have a very healthy baby girl uh, three years ago. Oh, well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Secondly, uh, uh, I love that I can say that I know about the two types of kidney dialysis. Yes. Shout out to Ellie, uh, who who uh, who so gracefully told us about that. And then thirdly, what the fuck is going on? What's the deal with with kidney transplant patients all of a sudden finding themselves yeah. in a world where they are trying to you know uh, trying to change the lives of pe people who are requiring things like dialysis or are in need of a new kidney is it like i mean so so ellie told us mm -hmm. that she became a nurse because of her experience with her transplant is are you in the same boat like did yes. you go into this line of work oh my god yeah. what the fuck <laughs> exactly exactly I love that it. yeah i was working in nonprofit wow. and uh you know got shot into this world of dialysis and transplant and it's such a black hole it feels like there's not enough resources or information for patients or even, you know, just uh, to find somebody else who's going through something similar to you. And so huh. I wanted to go into this um, in the education side of things just to, you know, not only be able to provide that education for people, but then also be able to say, you know, I, I know what you're going through on some level. So, you know, please right. tell me how I can help you. Unbelievable. I love this. Um, okay. Well, I think this sets us up well, mm -hmm. um, not only because you are someone who has lived experience, but also because you are someone who knows the ins and outs when, of, of, you know, the, the nitty gritty details when it comes to kidney transplantation. And so my goal here is to get a, a really clear understanding of the kidney paired exchange program. It's something that I didn't know about mm -hmm. until my conversation with Ellie. It's something that I think is miraculous. Yes. Like, I mean, what, a, what an unbelievable program. And so, uh, and also I think it's something that not a lot of people really know exists. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess, you know, I, I completely fucking butchered the kidney paired exchange program <laughs> explanation when I was talking to Ellie, maybe you can uh, give me an overview. Like what is the kidney paired exchange program? How does it work? Mm -hmm. And who are the types of people that can, um, that can step up to take part in this program? Absolutely. So the kidney paired donation program is run through Canadian Blood Services, and it is a program where people who have um, living donors who may not be compatible with them, so they're eligible to donate, but they don't match that person that they want to donate to. They go into this program, and you know, to make it sound simple, we often call it a kidney swap. So. I would go in with my potential donor, you would go in with your potential donor, and we would go into a system, we'd be registered with Canadian Blood Services, and what they do about three times a year is they do a cross-match across the country to see um, if donors could donate to waiting recipients, and um, they swap kidneys. So there's been chains that have been really long, 
So we're talking, you know, four or five groups of people who have swapped kidneys. And then there's been closed loops where it may just be two pairs. Um, so there's two ways that the program can happen. One of them is a direct donation. So that's where, let's say, mm -hmm. three groups of people go in, three pairs, and they all swap kidneys. And so when we say swap, we mean a donor in BC may donate to a recipient that they'll never meet in Ontario. And then a donor in you know, Halifax may donate to a person in Alberta that they'll never meet. And so all of right. those transplants happen um, and, and they make sure that everyone is healthy enough to do this and that um, those chains happen. The other way that it can happen is kind of a more open chain. So there are people that we call um, altruistic donors or anonymous donors. And there's somebody who steps forward who doesn't have a recipient in mind. So there are these just nice. amazing people who want to donate and they step in and say, I have an extra kidney, I'm healthy, I want to donate. And so that puts one kidney into a chain and that can kick off a chain. And then there's a, a, a kidney at the end that um, is extra, right? Because it's a, an uneven number of kidneys. And then that kidney goes to somebody who's waiting on the wait list so oh, wow. you know, it, there's an extra kidney at the end of it, um, which is remarkable that there are these people who donate just to donate, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like I, I mean, as someone who uh, I don't think I would be able to donate, mm -hmm. considering that I have cystic fibrosis. Um, but even if I could, I, you know, there's a part of me that that loves the idea mm -hmm. of of like stepping up to do something that could literally save someone's life. Um, but it's, it's an idea that's a little bit scary. Sure. And, and I think that that's totally like totally valid and totally understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I feel like perhaps there is an aspect to that that comes from a place of ignorance or maybe a place of like lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so I guess my next question would be, you know, for folks who are out there who are in the same position as me, uh, except they are, you know, someone who has a kidney that that isn't uh, potentially riddled with, um, I don't know why someone with CF couldn't donate a kidney, but let's just say someone who's healthy, um, um, typically healthy, and could step into that, but they they have those sorts of like fears. Um, what are some of the things that you would say to those people, not to sway their decision? Mm -hmm but just to give them the information so that maybe they make a more informed decision uh, and, you know, and, and that decision being that, oh, this isn't right for me, or, oh, you know what, actually, it's not as scary as I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, what are things that people need to consider when thinking about donating, whether that's to someone that they love or to a complete stranger just out of the kindness of their heart? Mm -hmm. So we go through a very vigorous process when evaluating our donors. So if somebody steps up um, and they decide that, yes, this is something I'm interested in, um, it is not just, great, thank you for your kidney, we'll pop you into surgery. So um, <laughs> it starts with an application form. It's a 12-page application form that they have to go through. They fill out their health history. They provide proof of their blood type as well. And then our coordinators look through that application and they look for signs that um, may show that that donor might not be healthy enough to donate a kidney or it might not be safe for them to donate. Um, so things like high blood pressure or diabetes, um, active cancers, um, maybe a family history of kidney disease. 
So those types of things that the the coordinators will look through and let that person know, you know what, this might not be safe for you to donate. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say they look at those application forms and everything looks good. They go on to a process of testing. So there's a couple rounds of tests that they go through. And these tests include things like ultrasounds of the kidney. Um, you know, they, they'll get x-rays. They'll do a lot of blood work. They'll also do um, a lot of urine tests because, as we know, the kidney is uh, is our, our pee producer. So they want to make sure mm-hmm. that they have really healthy kidneys. And I tell people, to the donor side of things is completely separate from the recipient side. So those two sides don't connect. They don't know what's happening with the workup process. Recipient teams is um, in charge of making sure the recipient is safe enough to go through the process. And the donor team is is responsible in making sure that they're healthy enough physically to go through the process, but then also that they're in a place mentally that they feel like they're doing this because they want to do it. They're not being coerced right. in any way. Um, and also they have the means to do it. So are they able to take time off work to go to all of these appointments for their tests? Are they able to take time off work for the recovery period as well? Because once you donate a kidney, you need about six to eight weeks um, to recover from that before you can go back to work. Sure. So there's all of these things that we want to make sure that the donors are safe and healthy enough to do it um, before they go through that process. And so it's it's a very right. in-depth, vigorous process that these donors go through to make sure they're healthy enough to go through this process and then live the rest of their lives with only one kidney. Right. Okay, so what I'm taking from that is six to eight weeks uh, to recover is basically six to eight weeks where you just don't even have to go to work. Yeah. Like, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, hey, like, sold. Uh, <laughs> sign me up, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I guess the um, the other thing that, that I was kind of curious about is, you know, from someone who is so deeply in, involved in this world of kidney donation, I'm sure that you are familiar with some of like the misconceptions that exist out there when it comes to kidney donation. Um, what are some of those misconceptions? Like what, you know, what's the, what's the general view on, on specifically kidney donation and um, maybe some things that you've heard that like, you know what, it's, it's not actually, it's not actually like that. Mm-hmm. So the first one of course is we're always all afraid of, of a major surgery and, and what could happen to us. Um, so a lot of people think that that is kind of a death sentence for somebody to go and have a major operation like that. And uh, we've never had any deaths at UHN of our living donors. Um, there are small complications that happen um, similar to sure. other surgeries. So, you know, if people have ever had their gallbladder removed or had a appendicitis sim- similar to that, it is a major surgery. So like I said, there is time that you have to recover. Um, but Generally, our donors do very well. Some of them are out of hospital actually in two to three days, um, which yeah. sounds kind of crazy. Like, thank you for your organ. You can <laughs> yeah. you can go home now. Um, yeah. But donors do very well. And I think the main reason why they do so well and why they recover so quickly is because they're the healthiest people that we can find, right? These people are right. very healthy. Um, they're able to donate because we've gone through that process of making sure that it's safe for them. And then the other pro thing that um, you know we we hear a lot about is that you can't live with one kidney, and you know mm. as I said at the beginning, my mom donated her kidney fifteen years ago, and the only way you would ever know is by looking at her scar. Um, you right. know, people who donate live very healthy, normal lives, and 
that remaining kidney kind of just takes over um, the slack and kind of works overtime and takes care right. of the body in that way. Okay. So again, my takeaway there is not only donating a kidney, would that leave you with a, a knowing that you are uh, truly an angel mm -hmm. in someone's eyes and saving someone's life, but it's also an indicator that you are the epitome of health. Exactly. So if you really want to know if you are like, you know, in the, in the top 99 percentile of, of healthy people on the planet, you might as well just give your kidney right. out. And, uh, <laughs> and then that's the certificate, right? Yes. Um, I, wow, this is, you're really, again, you're really selling me on this. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the other thing that I want to, that I want to just kind of run over with you before we wrap is um, something that Ellie had mentioned was that uh, she's in a position right now where 96, she has 96% antibodies, mm -hmm. um, donor specific antibodies. Is that correct? DSA. Um, and so, so, uh, and, and she mentioned HLA antibody testing. So like what, are, what are antibodies? What is like the HLA antibody testing? What does this mean for Ellie in terms of like her, you know, her, her, her chances, mm -hmm. um, of, of finding a donor? Um, because, uh, that, that's just a part of it. That's a, a little bit over my head. Yeah, so the easiest way to explain it is um, basically we we have um, antibodies which um, are kind of like these things that are going to fight against um, intruders. And so when you think about a kidney transplant, it's something that's coming from somebody else into our body. So it's a foreign object. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't belong to us. Um, and so when you have high antibodies, that means that you have a higher chance of really fighting that kidney hard and your body not wanting that kidney in your body. Um, so different things can give you higher antibodies. Um, one of the things, like you mentioned, Ellie's had a past kidney transplant, so that means her antibodies will be higher. Um, things like pregnancies, pregnancies um, make your antibodies higher, or something like blood transfusions. And the reason why is because um, those are um, foreign things in our body, that our body has mm -hmm. had to fight. So we've had to fight those things and so we have higher levels of antibodies. And so that means when we go to try to get a new kidney, we have had all of these other things happen in our body. And so when that new kidney comes in, it's got a lot more kind of warriors in our body who are looking to fight it off and get rid of it. So mm. when we're looking to match um, a, a new kidney into our body, it's a lot harder to match for those of us who have had prior transplants or pregnancies or blood transfusions because we have all of these other people's antibodies in our body as well. Okay. So it mean, it just means that it's harder to find a match. Um, it's harder to find somebody who um, would be a, a good um, candidate for us. And, you know, it doesn't mean that it's impossible at all. We have people who are, who are 98%. So it means the majority of people out there couldn't donate to that person because their body would fight that kidney off. But that's right. where that kidney paired donation program comes in because what happens is that we have all of Canada to look at for kidney transplants. So rather than just having my mom as my potential donor or my dad or my brother, um, we get to look all across Canada. So we take, let's say my mom and I, we go into the program and then that program has algorithms that, that can then match who's the best person to give that kidney to Ellie. So instead of her having to find that person, she goes in with a donor and the system finds it for her. Right. Okay. 
Um, uh, firstly, I just want to say, um, as an education and outreach coordinator, you seem to be doing an incredible job. So <laughs> thank you. I hope your boss is listening. Uh, Candace, Candace is crushing it. And uh, give this woman a raise. Thank you. Um, because uh, you, you not only did you answer all the questions that I had about um, about the things that I was curious about, but you just I feel like you really you really answered them in a way that is very digestible and and very easy to to um, to just integrate. Mm-hmm. And so so thank you so much for that. Thank before you. before we uh, before we let you go, mm-hmm. um, say somebody out there is listening to this and they've been touched by Ellie's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and they themselves want to, in, you know, put themselves into this pool. Um, where can they go? Uh, what should they do? So depending where you are in the country, um, you can definitely donate from, from any province. Um, you would contact um, Ellie's healthcare provider. So I believe you said she was in, in Halifax. So they could mm-hmm. reach out to um, the Nova Scotia Health Authority and say, and and contact the transplant unit there and say, I am interested in donating to Ellie. I want to learn more about the process. Um, This is my blood type and uh, I'm interested in learning more. And anyone across the country can be part of this. They would go through um, testing depending on where they live. If they are in Halifax, they can do testing there. Um, But if they are in a different province even, um, they can do some of their testing at their home centers as well. Um, if they are in Toronto, they can go to uhntransplant.ca and they can t- take a look at all of the resources on that website. Um, there's videos, there are manuals, all of that type of thing that if they're not quite ready to give um, the transplant unit a call, they can at least go and take a look at that. They can also check out our YouTube page at Give Life UHN, and there's tons of videos on there. Um, as well as greatactions.ca. There are videos of people who have been through this process, both as a recipient and donor. And also they can always reach out to us, uh, livingorgandonation at uhn.ca and ask questions. And uh, that's what I do every day. I answer questions for people who are interested in being a donor. Um, also recipients who might be you know, nervous about the process, they can, they can reach out as well. And uh, to anybody, you know, even thinking about becoming a living donor, whether they fill out that application form, go through the process or donate, um, you know, they are, like you said, angels on earth. They are, they're literally saving a life and, mm. and giving us our lives back. And, you know, I'm, I'm a testament to that. I'm able to do work in this field now. I have a, a beautiful family and, you know, I've traveled all over the world. And it's, it's honestly just because of that gift that my mom gave. So if you're even thinking mm. about it, thank you. Um, you're a hero and uh, you'll truly give Ellie her life back if you're thinking about donating. Candice, uh, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to, to share all this information with us. Thank you so much for having me. Ba-boom, we back, baby. And how about that conversation? Ellie, amazing. Love her. We're going to find her a fucking kidney. And you out there... You are the one. You listening right now. You watching on YouTube right now. Your kidney is going to go into Ellie and it's going to save her life because you have two. She has none, basically. And you only need one, really. So and you're going to save it. You're, you're going to do save it. Her. I actually got a text back from my mom and dad. Uh, my dad doesn't know his blood type, but my mom's AB. And so I'm sure I'm A+, plus, but I'm, I'm going to get checked anyway. Whatever. And just check it out. Want to hear a wild thing that we that, Tell me. that didn't come out? 
during that conversation with Ellie. What While we were recording that, Kira, my lovely, sweet, love of my life, beautiful, beautiful honey bunny rabbit, was off, off, uh, offset. And she got a text from her mom. And her blood type is, a, is, a, is technically a match. Universal donor. And so... But tons of people are universal donors. Yes, that's right. But so now, now Kira has, is going to go through the process of trying to figure out, does she, is she a match considering the antibodies and all that shit? Um, but here's the thing. There's chances that she's not, which means you watching this right now. You. And you. And you. Could give your kidney to Ellie. And so we're hoping, uh, again, back to the call to action if you are someone who is willing to do this, do it. Fucking do it. And, yeah. and, and how sweet would that be if we got Elliot Kidney? I mean, they'd be great for, our, for, for, uh, for us and, and the, the, the success of the show. Yeah, yeah we like can make we it would, a TikTok. Yeah. If you don't yeah. want this yeah. podcast to fucking end, because there's a lot of things shifting and, and we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but we have a different format and it's because we're scared. <laughs> So let's get into uh, let's get into the uh, the wrap up here. Uh, very exciting. Uh, speaking of organ donation, it was making me think. You know how hi- simple it all is. Yeah, yeah. The history <laughs> of like donation uh, organ transplant is pretty wild. But um, I was thinking, like, how do they? You know, how do you train? How do you train someone for something like that? Um, like to to actually do it. Yeah, yeah. Like how to how to fucking go in and pull a kidney out without fucking it up. Right, like That's if we cool. had, if there was no literature and I was to try to get Taylor's kidney out right now, like oh. what, like... What are the chances oh. that you're going to nail it? You yeah, meant like, would I be successful? Like, I mean, they just dug around and people that they thought were throwaway humans. Yeah, or yeah, or like yeah. pigs or something. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. dark. But, <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> so, which, which led me down this rabbit hole and I found something that I thought was A, hilarious, B, quite interesting. Uh, the world of, of simulation technology when it comes to healthcare. Okay, so I want to introduce you to uh, Pediatric Hal S2225. Oh, yeah, I'm this familiar. This is I'm... Pediatric Hal. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> pediatric Hal makes me... We are, <laughs> we are looking at a... <laughs> we are looking at a, a, a weird, abstract-looking, like, uncanny valley type of 3D model doll Thing yeah, very uncanny of, valley of a like r- young redheaded, mm-hmm. boyish-looking figurine. Yeah, who say, looks? I don't think you can say redheaded. Who looks? Uh, I who think look, so, who yeah. looks like the you know, the spawn of Satan might be within him. So so Hal is in a um, Johnny shirt. He is the world's most advanced pediatric patient shirt. simulator. Um, and basically, Hal is like a, a lifelike doll crafted to provide immersive learning experiences for healthcare professionals. And so he has a bunch of like lifelike interactions with dynamic facial expressions and comprehensive uh, clinical features. Here's uh, just some of Hal's facial expressions. So you got, you can see like consistent pain there. Yeah. I think at the bottom left, he looks uh, like, uh, maybe he looks cured. I don't know. <laughs> he, looks, he looks like he's just saying, my glasses, well, actually, my glasses. So, so would you, uh, believe it or not, Hal speaks. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's check out Hal. Hi, I'm Pediatric Hal. I can show you how I feel <laughs> by moving my face and my eyes. That's not real. Moving my face and my eyes. <laughs> That's not real. I feel that is real. Like that technology is behind. No, no. This <laughs> like is like, like this the, is literally state of the art. Now, let me get into some of the stuff that actually comes with Hal because it is kind of impressive. What about but, the girl from Ex Machina? Uh, oh, that's. That's a movie. Well, I mean, yeah. That, and that's also like military tech that's like black, 
black budget, underground. We're not going to see that for another two years. But they have it now. <laughs> they have it. Uh, so the core purpose of integrating simulation technologies like Pediatric Hal into healthcare education uh, is, it's huge. It can't be overstated. So uh, it's about more than just practicing medical procedures. It's about fostering a culture of continuous learning and skill enhancement within a risk-free environment. Um, there, you guys might be familiar with like simulation that exists in hospitals where they have actors come in and pretend. I'm not be, familiar, but oh, that no? sounds crazy. It, oh man, I go in, I get paid to go in and pretend that I have gonorrhea. He, that <laughs> so there are yeah that is a, like I'm not joking. This has been a dream job of mine. You you are paid as an actor to go in. They give you a sort of sheet that gives you like all right, this is these are your symptoms. This is how you're feeling, and then you just improv. And you have mm -hmm. med students come in and they 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 give you a full like sort of ch checkup, and they're trying to they're trying to figure out what it is you have. And I've talked to people who do it and they're like, man, sometimes you just like, you get so worked up and you, and you just go over the top. And like, I've, I've heard totally. of like, like friends just Dude. like screaming and fucking pain. And, and it's like squid game. So they guys, execute the med students who get it wrong. Should we do, um, should we do like a murder mystery party style party that we host? But instead of there <laughs> being a murder, there's just like Someone's patients sick. that come in with yeah. like workups that, that need to be done. That'd, that'd, be, idea. that'd be fun. Yeah, um, like murder or like vignette mystery. So, so the thing is that with, with that, with that element of, of simulation, you can't open them up. You can't like prick them. You can't, you know, whatever you can't do. You can't like actually do shit to them. Um, but that's where Hal comes in. So Hal's got the lifelike interactions and emotions. I mean, very life, lifelike life is in, is in quotations. How tall know. is Hal? Um, well, he's a pedi it's pediatric Hal. So he's uh, he's seven foot three. Um, <laughs> he looks desk size, you know, like. Like, Actually, well, here, if you, like he if you looks look like here, he just sits on a shelf. So you have him it, it, on He's the right that here. Big. Uh, they, they have him legitimately hooked up to a ventilator. You can vent Hal. He's fucking big. Like, yeah. he's full yeah, size. He's, yeah, he's a fucking 10-year-old boy. Like, he's the size of Hudson, my nephew. Whoa. Yeah, I don't know how much he weighs. Um, so he's got interactive eyes and facial expressions. Um, he has automated reactions, so he can turn his head, eyes upwards uh, towards approaching subjects, um, enhancing realism and patient interaction. Um, he has, so there's advanced clinical simulation, so he has dynamic lung compliance, so it offers true ventilator support for realistic respiratory care training, because venting a patient is like an art. Um, you don't just jam it? No, not, I mean, <clears throat> maybe in a, maybe, uh, maybe if you're like a war medic. Mm. You know, um, real patient monitoring, monitoring support. So he's compatible with actual patent monitoring or sorry, patient monitoring equipment to enable authentic practice settings. And then you can even get surgical and, and emergency interventions with him. So, uh, it includes features for practicing critical intervention interventions using real instruments. So check this out. How can, how can cry? He bleeds. So right here, we're watching a video. Hal is getting pricked. Uh, for like a blood glucose test. Um, he cries tears made of water. Is he crying there? He, he has scary. piss. He pisses. Oh my God. He's full of piss. <laughs> and watch this. They're going, I mean, this, this could oh, be Ellie. I have a this little. This could be Ellie right here. Watch. Like that. They're, got, they're, they're cutting in and just tubing them. Look at that. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. <laughs> that is insane. Um, it, it reminds me of, did you guys ever... Um, have that class in high school where you have to take care of a baby? I didn't do that, but we I did an egg. 
So there's um there's this class where I I didn't take the class, but I remember like vividly home ed, remember. Home ed. Yeah, and and so um, kids in school would get these like little mm. babies that mm. would like cry, and they you'd would have shit. to like change their diapers and stuff. Yeah, and so. <clears throat> Um, I remember seeing you like, had to fill it with dog you, shit. You know the and kids would, in your class that dog shit out that like can't do anything seriously, and you would see them with the babies, and they're like holding onto them by the yeah. feet and like dangling just them up and down. Pump shit. Up a joint and just blowing it. In <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, that's what you didn't. Do and then, and then, I mean, it's just like it's just a computer, so you can kind of like probably fucking do stuff to to pass anyway, even though you're doing those things. It, yeah, it was really bad that they did that. You know, uh, um, this is you know what this is the beginning of. Like what? What? What happens when? <laughs> well, well. Ted, what happens when Hal? It got me thinking. What happens when Hal starts? Is fucking tired. Starts to feel. Yeah. Well. <laughs> what happens when the AI? I'm a real starts boy. to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, and then you've just got this poor boy locked up. Cut him open. Shove a tube down making his him throat. Make him cry. Making him piss. Give him diabetes. What happens when he gets angry? Yeah. Well. Uh, before we get into uh, the, the the potential uh, risks associated with Hal, guess who has a Hal? Who? The IWK. Really? The there Children's Hospital here I'm, in Halifax. I think uh, I'm afraid now. IWK Health is an active participant in Nova Scotia's SimEd Collaborative, a network aimed at promoting simulation-based learning across the province by consolidating expertise and facilitating the sharing of practices. And it includes uh, Nova Scotia Health, Dalhousie, um, Nova Scotia Community College, and together they kind of came together and bought a Hal. We should have Hal on the podcast, and this new that format allows t- for that it. Would be that, hilarious, right? Get Duncan Trussell to voice him. <laughs> oh, that's a great. Get someone Hal. shove their hand up his ass and just have him speak. <laughs> oh How much God. do you think a Hal costs? Ooh, um, hundred sixty thousand dollars. Sounds low. Let's see if it comes up. Pediatric Hal cost. Uh. A human patient simulator can range in price from $100 to $100,000. Hal cries $100. and pisses. What's $100? I mean, a blow-up sex doll that yeah. they just put a Johnny <laughs> skirt on? <laughs> Probably. And even those can be more expensive yeah. than $100. That's right. Um, so, so, yeah, my concern with Hal was what you were kind of mentioning there. Because I don't know if anybody realizes this, but the original Hal um, it didn't turn out so well. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. And we all know what happened to Dave. Uh, well, actually, not Dave, but Dave's buddy. Um, uh, so that was, a, if you're not familiar, 2001 A Space Odyssey, one of the best films of all time. That Hal was an AI, and that Hal didn't care for humans so much. And I was also thinking, you know, you take that ex machina route, right? Mm-hmm. What happens when Hal starts to have feelings? I can tell mm-hmm. you what's going to happen. I know exactly what the fuck's going to happen. And Thanks. it's this. That's what I was thinking. This is exactly what yeah. I was thinking. Is that Chucky? Yeah, yeah. You, you put a ventilator in me. We're going to vent you, brother. Oh, my God. And this is actually a healthcare provider. I don't know if you can tell. This is yours. Um, oh. we, uh, we can't show this on YouTube. Thank you. We're going to have to... I definitely can't show that on YouTube. That was insane. What Chucky was that? I think I stopped watching Chucky at the Bride of... Chucky's Bride or Bride of... The new reboot was amazing. Chucky or well, guys, um, you know, 
we just have to say that we're not really sure how much longer we'll be on YouTube for, but this is a good reminder that <laughs> yeah. uh, all of our episodes for the time being <laughs> are on, are on YouTube. YouTube. All of them. So uh, again, folks, uh, it, let's help save someone's life. All the links that can send you to where you need to go if you're interested are in the description of this episode, wherever you find it. And, uh, and for everybody that's been along for this ride for the last almost decade, Thank you so fucking much. Mm-hmm. Um, this podcast means the world to us. Um, we're not going anywhere. It's only the beginning. It is only the beginning. Well, it's like maybe, I was going to say midway, but that would only leave us like another 10 years. Yeah, so right. like maybe a quarter of the way. Hey, man, I'm going to be living till I'm fucking 80 now. So yeah, yeah, true. Guys, my lung function's 87%. That's insane. I know. That's crazy. Yeah, you're only 13% from me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. When you, when you told me that. I got to get a I, fucking Garmin. I got goosebumps. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you so much for, for, for supporting the podcast so far. To all of the people who have popped over to our Discord channel, um, it, we, we appreciate you as well so much. To all of our patrons that have stuck around, we appreciate you so much. Um, and to all the new listeners, welcome. Uh, we hope that we can provide you with a space to learn, to be inspired, and to, uh, to have a little bit of fun. <clears throat> And we're really looking forward to, to this new sort of endeavor that we're taking on. One, one episode a week of really quality content. Uh, Wednesdays are our new release schedule. So, you know, say goodbye to Mondays, say goodbye to Fridays. We're going to get you through that hump day um, and, uh, and hump your ears. Hump your fucking ears yeah. right into the That's week. our yeah. new slogan, yeah. hump That's your ears. It. And yeah. if you're feeling weary about this whole thing, just know that we really don't talk about Jeremy's come that much and at all anymore. It's, it's a not issue now. We've, yeah. we've, kind of, yeah, we've covered yeah. it. We yeah. will be talking about my come a whole bunch when I decide to uh, try to have a baby. That'd be cool. Um, and we will cross, but we, but we won't be saying come, we'll be saying sperm. We will cross that very, uh, cummy bridge, watery, watery like oh, bridge. When we come to it, do you think when they, do you think when they pull, when they extract the sperm that's been in my balls for 35 years, that it's really like gooey. a lot thicker. Well, it's not in your yeah, balls. Yeah, cobwebs. Years. It, uh, it, uh, it dies and renews every three months. You don't have the same. No, I know that, but I mean, there's there's got to be some residual kind of cobwebby spunk. Cobwebs. You know? That just cobwebs. Remi- that just made me think of uh, that. Just made me think of that scene in Bo is Afraid when, <laughs> this, he, ends, uh, when he ends up having this, sex uh, and his balls e- are like the size this of basketball. Huge, yeah. This episode will be difficult to title because now we really want to name it "Residual Spunk." But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's probably going to be something about Ellie's Ellie. Might kidney, not like but, that, but yeah. anyway, it's our show. Ellie, um, not thanks, yours. thanks again to the people who helped make this yeah. show happen. Uh, we really love you, Jeff Lonis, everybody else. You know, thanks. Yeah, and uh, and uh, if you want to support the podcast, come on over to Discord. Um, and uh, if you want to be on the show, or you have someone that you think would be great to be a guest on the show, uh, go to our website. There's a great place there to to sign up and do that. And uh, well, you took my part, and I, I, did. I can't remember if you said... This, to, this is rate, all part of the new format. Go I ahead. I can't remember if go you ahead. said to rate and review the podcast, but like... If <laughs> sure, you, do it. Like, rate and review it, and if uh, you've got a really nasty subscribe. rating, we, we always read, like, really nasty ratings on the show, so if you've got, like, a uh, real, real stinger, put throw that up there. Let it rip. And, uh, yeah. We're going to throw this episode out to... Uh, great, great the bear reference there. This, uh, this week's episode, we are going to throw to uh, Botfly and their new... Uh, fuck, I, I don't know what that... What is that? I've never seen that. I don't know what that is. To play us out? What the fuck is to play us out? What the fuck is that? No, fuck it. Fuck it. I'll do it live. Uh, 
And today, this week's episode is going to be uh, ended by listening to a single from Botfly. And it's all about Ellie. Uh, Botfly is the band that Ellie's beautiful partner is a part of. And he wrote this song for her. And it is the demo of that song. It hasn't been recorded yet officially. And you get to hear it here. So enjoy. And we'll see you on the next one.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.